As a matter of fact, a couple of years after, and I started writing, and some people, some of you follow me on social media, I write a lot for a lot of organizations. A few years after I was diagnosed, and I began to write and talk about my story and share uh, a friend of ours, a friend of my wife's, who had come to a birthday party for our son years before, and we hadn't heard from them in years, inboxed her and apologized after she saw one of my articles because, in her words, she, we went to a, a party, she thought it was a good time, but in her words, she thought I was a jerk. And I'm thinking, I thought we had a great time. I didn't know. <laughs> I had no clue that you were mad at me, that you didn't, something happened between us. And, and can I just be honest with you? She didn't deal with us anymore because of something I had no control over. And so I talk about it a lot. And can I just tell you, March 18th, March 8th, 2015, my previous church, I disclosed my diagnosis because I didn't want anyone to come to the church, have a bad experience with me, and me not know about it, and then never come back. Because I'm called to win people to Jesus. I want to do everything that's possible to win people to Jesus. And I don't want something that I oftentimes have no idea is happening to stop you from having an encounter with God. Because people ask me, why do you talk about it? Because I have a calling on my life and I want to make sure. And so social communication issues. Sometimes there are those on the spectrum. And keep in mind, I can't give you uh, everything. It's, it's, it's super complex. But there are those who have sensory processing issues. Some people are sensory seeking. They need, those are the kids who need to have something in their hand. They're tactile learners. Those are the ones that you don't take away their toys when they're fidgeting because that's how they regulate their sensory input. But then you have people like myself that are sensory sensitive. Loud noises, clapping. Can I just be honest with you? When I'm in a crowded space, I tell people, here's the best example I can give you. My brain has no EQ. Every noise is on 100. And so sometimes when we're in a crowded space like a lobby or a church and you're talking to me and it looks like I'm not paying you attention, it's not that I'm not paying attention to you, it's that I'm paying attention to everyone. And my brain can't distinguish between the person in front of me and the person behind me. I can hear everything that happens. I can hear knuckles popping, pins clicking, fans rotating. I can hear cars outside. And it's difficult to focus when your brain cannot filter that out. The other part of that is, is that when I'm sensory overloaded, my wife knows this and some of my previous staff knows this, and, and even staff here is getting to know this, that there are moments when I become overloaded that it actually causes my brain to shut down. And so I'll spend a day or two in bed and now that I've got a handle on it, I, I understand that better. So I schedule things in a way to where I know I can recover. A couple of weeks ago, I've been traveling and doing some conferences. And I knew that after I came back from speaking, that I'm going to need about one or two days of just chilling in the bed with the lights off because my brain has been severely overloaded with senses. That's smells. Like people don't realize, but uh, I can walk down the grocery aisle and smell every single detergent through the bottle. And so those are some of the challenges uh, that people have, like sensory seeking and sensory sensitive and routines. Uh, you all know me by now, like I'm, I'm a clock guy. My brain has an internal clock. I know y'all look at me because I get on your nerves because I'm always looking at my clock. I'm like, we start at this time, this is what time. But people on Spectrum are, 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 they stick to their routines. There's been some benefits to that. There's, that's what makes me good at what I do. But I also have sometimes some executive functioning challenges. Basically, the way I describe that is, is that my administrative assistant is very underqualified. 
So some things that I have difficulty organizing. So, so let me give you an example. Uh, I was off doing a conference, and I'm signing my books at my table, and people are telling me their name. And once they get past the third letter, I have to ask them. And people think I'm being funny when I say, say that again, say that again. But by the time you get to the third letter or the third number in your phone number, my brain starts to reorganize things. And so while people think I'm being rude or I'm not paying attention or I can't, it's an executive functioning issue. I'm the guy that you can't tell, go downstairs, go around the hallway, and you find it here because I need signs. I need, I need visible signs or written instructions, which is why I tell people, you have something that you really need to communicate to me that's important, write it down, send it to me first, let me process it. And so those are some of maybe... Uh, the challenges, and, and perhaps maybe some of you have already seen that in how we interact with one another, but there are some strengths that I have as well. And so what, what I believe is, is that the church, even before I knew what I wrestled with, growing up, the church was the place that helped me to build the confidence that I needed to be what God called me to be. And that's why it's so important for us to be the type of church who reaches out to people who have not just autism, but maybe intellectual disabilities, developmental disabilities, maybe physical disabilities or special needs, that the church is a place that when we do it right, people from all walks of life can come in and they can become the best version of who God created them to be. And I believe that with all my heart. If it wasn't for the church, I wouldn't be where I am today. If it wasn't for people praying for me, if it wasn't for a loving community that even though they had to put up with some stuff that they didn't realize what was going on, it was the church that helped me to excel to become the person that I am today. That's why I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He says to Peter, check this out. You already know this. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and, watch this, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Do you realize that the church is undefeated? He says that when you, and when he says I'm building the church, he didn't mean a building. That word in Greek is ekklesia. It means gathering. It's a group of people. He says, I'm going to build my own people, my own group. I'm going to build a family. And that family, when they come together, whoever joins it cannot be defeated. That's why I love the fact that the church has been the place where amongst all the other struggles I have outside, people say, well, pastor, we don't see it. That's because when I'm in the church, I'm at home. I struggle less here than I do outside because there's something about the church because Jesus says, I'm going to put together a gathering of people and they will not be defeated. So it's important for us to understand that the church is the place that has to reach out to those in our community that often overlook or say so I'm going to just give you y'all got to hang with me because I get uh, I get called to go to conferences and churches all over the country to teach you what I'm going to teach you today people fly me out and pay me to teach you what I'm teaching you today and, and it's designed to be about a 75 to 80 minute workshop and so I'm going to try to squeeze it in, in the next 35 minutes so y'all pray for your boy here's the question though if Jesus says I'm building my church question number one what is the church for Question number two, who is the church for? See, we've got to start there because oftentimes we go to church, but I don't know that we often think about this and 
and, and we're going to do this next year. I'm going to do a whole series on we're just going to talk about what the church is and what the church is supposed to do. I'm going to call that series Epic Church. We're going to talk about what the church is. I'm going to give you the nuts and bolts of the church because I'll be honest because most of us come in here and we come from different backgrounds. Some of us never grew up in church. That's cool. I'm glad you're here. Some of us have other church backgrounds, but everybody in here, when I say what is the church for and who is the church for, can we be honest? Most of us have different answers. So next year, we're going to preach a whole series, five or six weeks on just the church so we can teach ourselves and learn from the word what the church is so we know what we're supposed to be doing. But you got to ask yourself that because he says that this, this is it. The church is it. There is no plan B. I don't know if you noticed this, but Jesus didn't say, if you read later on after that, he says, uh, and I'm going to give the keys to the kingdom to the church. Go back and read Matthew 6, 18 and keep reading on. I don't know if you noticed this, he, he, he didn't say, I'm going to give the keys to the kingdom to the school system. I love you teachers, principals, administrators, I love you, but the keys of the kingdom belong to the church. He didn't say, I'm going to give the keys of the kingdom to the government. He sure as heck didn't say, I'm going to give the keys to the kingdom to Hollywood. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus says there's only one way that people get access to the kingdom, it's the church. So if anybody's going to get in, if anybody's going to be included, if anybody's going to meet the presence of God, it's the church's job. There is no plan B. That's why we got to be sure about what it is and what it's for. Listen to one of my, my mentors. She's passed on, and I never met her, but she's mentored me from afar. Listen to what she says, Nancy Easton, who's a forerunner in disability theology. Listen to what she says in her book. She says, the history of the church's interaction with the disabled is at best an ambiguous one. Rather than being a structure for empowerment, the church has more often supported the social structures and attitudes that have treated people with disabilities as objects of pity and paternalism. That's a mouthful right there. For many disabled persons, the church has been a, quote, city on the hill, physically inaccessible and socially inhospitable. Man, if that's not an indictment on the church, I don't know what is. But can I be honest with you, as I travel the country, and I do this at a lot of churches, and I have people who inbox me, and I meet, and I mentor families and pastors. Can I just be honest with you? It's the truth. That somehow or another, we've forgotten that the church is the place that's supposed to reach out to all the people who are on the margins. Let me just give you a little bit of data. This is not all-encompassing statistics, but it's just something to kind of help you to understand that these represent the percent increase of not attending church based on these developmental, intellectual, or physical disabilities. I'm just going to give you a few. This is not all of them. But there's a 19% increase of not attending church for families who have somebody who's impacted by ADHD. And by the way, can I just say this? Uh, because it's become cute. Uh, nowadays to say and use medical terms to express what we are dealing with. Can I just be honest with you? Please don't use that unless that's something that you're actually dealing with, that's what you're diagnosed with. F find a better way to describe what you're dealing with. Don't use, because I know people who struggle severely with ADHD. I know people who struggle severely with OCD, and it's not cute to them. It's not something that they use to describe the fact that they just can't get it together. This is a real issue. This is real life. So can I just encourage you, be careful about the language you use. That may be one of the reasons why the people we should be reaching won't come in the doors, because we've been using what they struggle with as a synonym for something that we can't get together. 
says 19% uh, increase. If, if there's some sort of learning disability, there's a 36% increase in their unwillingness to attend church. If there's an anxiety disorder, and that's a real thing, can I just be honest with you, prayer doesn't get rid of that. But there's a 45% increase of those families who, who will unwillingly go to church. If there's some sort of conduct disorder, and that's real, there's a 55% chance that there's a 55% increase that those families will not attend church. If there's a family that's impacted by autism, there's an 85% increase that a family that's impacted by autism will not attend church. 56% of families kept their child from religious activities, watch this, due to a lack of support. 56% of families will not come to church because they say that the church won't support them. Here's the last one. 46% of people who have been impacted by some sort of disability have never even been asked. This is just talking about children. We're not talking about teenagers and adults. 46% have never even been asked how to include their child. This is the church that Jesus said that he's building. And the people that we should be reaching are saying, we're not coming because you don't support us. You don't ask us how to include our children and our teenagers. You don't ask us how to make things more accessible for us. You don't ask us, and can I just say this? If you don't think that this impacts you, there's two things that you got to know. Because one of our, our core values is diversity. And the largest minority group in the world is people with disabilities. So we're going to stay true to the diversity value of our church. We've got to start reaching people not just with different color, but different conditions, different abilities. Here's the second thing, and this blows people's mind when I tell them this when I go across the country teaching this. If you live long enough, you will become a part of this community. Some of us are already part of that community if you use corrective lenses, if you have to take medication to regulate how your heart beats or how your blood pressure works, if you have to use walking assistance. Most of us don't even realize if you have any assistance that helps your body function in the way that it was supposed to when it was created, you are a part of this community. And so we got to understand that this is bigger than just us having and doing church, that there are those on the margins that the church has failed to reach. So I love what Jesus says in Luke chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 7 through 14. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, it says Luke says, when, when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them some advice. Okay, so let me parenthetically pause because you know me, I got to give you context. So you got to know that there was this dinner that Jesus was invited to. Go back and read Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 14 all the way through verse 6. There's a dinner that Jesus has been invited to by the Pharisees, you know, the religious rulers, the teachers of the law. And they invited him to this dinner, and they invited him to a dinner. And at the dinner was a man, Luke says, that had dropsy. Now, dropsy is probably a modern-day version of congestive heart failure. There was something that he had, some sort of disability that called his legs and arms to swell. Some scholars believe it's probably sort of some congestive heart failure. And they invited him to the dinner. Watch this. And Luke says they invited it him to the dinner on the Sabbath just to see what Jesus was going to do. That they were playing games with Jesus because they knew that Jesus liked to heal people, but one of their laws said that you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So we're going to set Jesus up just to see what he's going to do. And Jesus ends up saying, look, 
you just invited me here to see what I'm going to do, but let me ask you a question. If one of your animals that you use to farm with falls in a ditch on the Sabbath, aren't you going to go out and rescue that animal from the ditch? In other words, Jesus, watch this, says that there is a medical version, there's a medical perspective to disability. Yes, there may be some things that physically people cannot do, but Jesus really impacts them by saying, but socially... There's something you can do about that. Okay, that's good right there because there's some stuff that I may not be able to do about my physical condition. But he says, but it's socially acceptable for you to go out and get the animal. So let's not talk about that. Let's talk about the fact that you don't even treat people better than you treat your animals. Can we just be honest? Can I just, just, just lean in for a second? Because I'm not asking us to be a church that knows how to fix everything, but what Jesus is saying is that there's some social implications to how we treat people who are struggling. He says, like, like yeah, I can, I can heal him or not. I can, I can deal with the medical part, but your job is to create an environment where everybody's welcome. And it's interesting because Jesus healed the man and then he dismissed him. And you would think that, why wouldn't he allow him to stay there at the dinner? But he dismissed him because he knew the people didn't invite him for the right reasons. Jesus knew that they didn't really want him there. Can I just say we got to be careful when we talk about reaching our community because we have to create an environment where we truly want. Like if we say we're going to be a church for all people, we got to be a church for all people. And the reason why Jesus dismissed him is because he knew they didn't really want him there. They were just using him as a tool to try to trick Jesus to find out what Jesus was going to do. And Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to heal him and I'm going to dismiss him because he's too good to sit amongst people who don't want him there. Can I just tell you, when we do ministry, we've got to become a church that doesn't just tolerate people, we celebrate people. It says that Jesus, he noticed that in that same dinner, that all who had come were sitting in the seats of honor at the head of the table, and he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit at the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? Let me give you the PLT, Pastor L translation. You're not all that. There's always going to be somebody who shows up who's more important than you. He says, so stop acting like you're all that. Then he says, the host will come and say, give this person your seat, then you will be embarrassed. And you have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. We're getting ready to do Thanksgiving. Any of y'all remember sitting at the kids' table? <laughs> then when you got like 13 or 14, you was too grown to sit at the kids' table. And you were like, why could I sit at the adults' table? And you're sitting there at a card table. That's, you know what I'm talking about. One of them old Walmart card tables that's messed up, that got high C punch stains on it. And you got to sit there with the three-year-olds while they're eating and picking and throwing. F- okay, some of y'all act like... He says, stop trying to sit at the table of honor because the headmaster might come and tell you, go sit at the kids' table. He said, instead, take the lowest place at the foot table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. Watch this. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then he turned to his host. Whenever you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, this is important, or rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, okay, so Jesus is saying, if you want to build a banquet, here's how you build it. He says, don't start with the people that you know, the people who look like you, think like you, act like you, vote like you. You want real diversity? Stop just inviting the people who are like you. 
He says, here's how you build it. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Jesus says, you're going to build the ultimate party, the ultimate feast. You're going to build the ultimate church. You're going to build it the way that I want it to be built. Don't start with the people who you think can bring something in and repay you. Did you catch what he said? He says, you buy your brother and your sister because you know that they'll pay a fee at the door. You know that they, she says, you know what? Here's how I want you to build it. Start with the people that nobody's thinking about. And if you start with the people that nobody's thinking about, he says, God himself, did you catch that? Will be responsible for reciprocating and giving you the reward because you invited the people that nobody else wanted. Okay, so can I just give you four things and then we'll roll out. I told you I'm condensing this down. Normally when I teach this at churches, we do a 75 to 90 minute workshop where we work through this. But I'm going to give you the four things that are part of one of the workshops that I give to churches. I go all across the country. People want to know what should we do. Here's number one. Why should every church have a special needs or disability ministry? Number one, it invites God's blessing. Catch what Jesus said? He says, the way you've been building this thing, the only people who can bless you are the people that you've been building it on. Did you catch what he said? He says, you invite your friend, your neighbors, your brothers, all these people. That's good. He says, but that's your own reward. It stops with them. But if you want to invite God's blessing to what you're building, he says, start with the people that nobody else is thinking about. It invites God's blessing. In a way, Jesus is saying that what you have to understand, watch this, is value is more important than cost. Because a lot of times people say, well, we want to start a special needs ministry pastor, but how much is it going to cost? I said, you're asking the wrong question. Because Jesus says, you can invite people who you know are going to tithe, who you know, okay, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Because most churches are built on, let's go after the middle class income family because we know that they're able to give to our church and feed our mission. And Jesus says, but that's all you're going to get if that's all you invite. In other words, you put a glass ceiling over your own head because you're not reaching out to the people who God sees on the margins because the church was built to include people. He says, you know what? If that's how you want to do it, that's your only reward. You'll see the same people every year. You'll never grow. You'll never impact your city because all you're concerned about is watch this, how much it's going to cost you and how many people you can get to pay for what you're trying to build. Whew, I'm going to get myself in trouble because no other pastor is going to tell you to go out and reach people who may not be able to give you a dime. He says, you want to build something? Build it with people that nobody else is thinking about. I don't know if you knew this, but only around 2 to 5% of all churches intentionally have some sort of ministry to reach out to people with special needs and disabilities. One of the conversations I have, I have great friends from all over the country. Some of them have mega churches, and one of the conversations that, that never comes up when we're talking or when it does come up, people are always trying to figure out, how do I fit that into our vision? How do I fit that into our budget? Okay, some of y'all have seen this exercise before. You remember the philosophy professor who goes in, and he has a glass jar, and he fills it up with rocks, and he asks the student, is it full? You remember that example? And then they say, yeah, it's full. And he says, well, let me try this. Let me put some sand in there. And then he puts some pebbles, and he fills it up with water and then at the end he shows that if you want to build something start with the most important stuff first 
Can I just tell you that's what Jesus is talking about? He says if you want to build it the right way, the reason why, because if you go back and read this, I want you to go home and read the entire parable of the banquet. He said Jesus goes on to tell a story, and he sends a servant out and tells them, go out and invite the blind, the lame, the cripple. And then the servant goes out and invites them, and the servant comes back and says this, there's still room for more. Can I just tell you, when you invite the people who God is calling to invite, there's always room for everything else you want to do. But when you start the wrong way, it's hard to fit it in. And I tell churches, as a matter of fact, my next book is on this subject right here. It's called uh, The Disability in the Church, A Vision for Inclusion. And, and what Jesus tells us is, if you start the wrong way, you're never going to find room to minister to people with disabilities. But if you start with them, everything else you want your church to be able to accomplish, there will always be room for it. So he says, you got to understand that value is more important than cost. Inclusion requires an investment. And then here's, here's the last thing, um, the first thing I want to give you. you got to learn how to broaden the borders of community. We love to say that word, community. We love to talk about community. But what Jesus is showing us in this story is that we've got to broaden what that definition of community looks like. If it's just us, something's wrong. Here's the second reason why every church should have a ministry to persons and families with special needs or disabilities. Number two, it reinforces our commitment to the gospel. You, you know the story of the lost sheep. I'm just going to read you one verse. Luke chapter 15, verse 4. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go out to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Can I just say this? From the very beginning, Jesus has taught us that our mission is who's missing. You look around, one of the things I always say about a church that's healthy, I look around and say, who's missing? Who's not here? Man, I thank God for you. I'm glad you show up because otherwise I'll be preaching to empty seats every week. But can I just tell you, as a leader, as a visionary, my job is to pastor you but also look at who's not here. Jesus says, Here's what a real shepherd does when they notice that one of the sheep is missing. Did I just tell you that only 2 to 5% of churches have any sort of ministry? Did I just give you all those statistics that people and families with disabilities don't come to church? Can I just tell you they're missing? Jesus says, here's what a heart of a shepherd does. Shepherd goes out and says, you know what? I got 99, but there's still one that's missing. I'm going to go after them. See, our mission has always been about who's missing, who's not here, who can we bring in, who needs to be where you are, who needs to be sitting next to you. When you look statistically, it is the disability community is missing from our churches. Jesus says it it reinforces our commitment to the gospel. Listen to this. Approximately 20% of the U.S. population has a disability. I like to say if if 20 to 25% of our church doesn't represent that, we're failing. It reinforces our commitment to the gospel. Here's the third thing. I'm flying through this. The church was born for inclusion. Okay, I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16 and 19. Here's what Jesus says. I already told you this. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, you and I both know, if you have a young child, a toddler, I remember a couple years ago, one of our kids got a hold of my keys, and he put them somewhere, and it took me like three hours to find them. 
Anybody ever had that happen to you? You don't give keys to someone who's not responsible. Listen to what Jesus said. He says the keys, which, which signify inclusion. Because he says nobody's going to get in unless you all bring them in. And I'm going to give you the keys. In other words, Jesus says, I'm holding you responsible for ushering people into my kingdom. And if we have an entire population of people who are missing, who do you think Jesus is going to hold responsible? He said, wait a minute. I gave the keys to y'all. I'm holding you responsible. The church was born for you to give people access. So number three, the church was born for inclusion. See, diversity includes the disability community. I already said this before, that if we're going to talk about diversity, and diversity is a hot-button issue in our culture now, one of the things I talk about in my next book is we can't have that discussion about diversity without talking about this population. They are the largest minority group in the world, and I said it before, and if you live long enough, you will become one of them. He says, the, the church, that's what we do, is we go out and we include people into God's plan for their life and his plan for the world. That's what we do. We include people. Can I just say, share this with you? And I got to move fast. People with disabilities also reflect the image of God. You remember the story in John chapter 9? The man born blind is probably on the screen. I'm just going to give you the Cliff Notes version. You remember when he's walking with his disciples, and the disciples said, okay, Jesus, because this was a prevalent way of thinking. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Number one, that's a ridiculous question, because if he was born blind, how much sinning could he have done out the womb? Some of y'all catch that on Tuesday. <laughs> Can I just tell you, sometimes that's still some prevalent thinking in our society. I've even had somebody tell me, if you're really a man of God, God would have healed you. My response is what Jesus said. Remember, Jesus says, he says, neither. But this happens so that the glory of God can be seen. Here's what Jesus does. He changes the question from, why can't this man see, watch this, to how can God be seen in him? You're asking the wrong question. The question is, how can we see God in him. Can I just tell you, people, whether they have a physical disability, intellectual, developmental disability, or myself, they still fully reflect the image of God. They are not broken. They are not less than. They reflect. Jesus says, no, don't, let's not look for someone to blame. Instead, what I want you to do is I want you to look in his eyes and tell me you don't see God working. He says, I want you to understand that we were born for this, that they reflect the image of God. Here's the last thing. The reason why every church needs this is that when their voice is absent, a void is present. Listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 22 through 26. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Some versions say those parts are indispensable. That literally means in Greek they are absolutely necessary. Yeah, the parts that you think are the weakest and least important. He says, and the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that the extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. 
And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Here's what Paul is saying. He says that the parts, he's talking to the Corinthian church, the people that you think are less than, the people that you think, the ones that you think that we can't invite them because they won't be able to pay for this, they won't be able to, to do what we do, they're not going to contribute much. He says the parts that you think are weak, the parts that you think, the parts that society has pushed you aside, those are the ones that are indispensable. Those are the ones that are absolutely necessary. And did you catch what he says? He says when those parts are there, it teaches the body something. It teaches them, watch this. They are necessary. They are a necessary part of the body of Christ. They bring a strength and vitality to the body of Christ. Here's the last thing, and we'll roll out. They increase the culture of community, care, and Christian conviction. You know, one of the things about the, and Van, you can come up, one of the things about the story of the Good Samaritan, I think we missed this is that a man's going down the road. It says that he was beaten and left for dead. He was temporarily, temporarily, we don't know what happened to him, if not uh, permanently disabled by what happened to him in life. And it says that a priest and a Levite passed right by him. But can I just tell you what that story does, among a lot of other things? It exposes us to ourselves. How we treat people who are temporarily or permanently been disabled by life, or maybe they were born that way, all that did was expose the church folks to who they really were. They walked right past him and didn't even think to help him. And in that moment, we discovered who the real people are following God. And I just tell you what we decide to do in trying to reach this community, when we see that there are people who are not here, Maybe, maybe we need to go to them. Maybe there are things that we can do to accommodate them better. But what it does, it will expose who we really are. It's going to expose if we're really following Christ or not. So here's what I want you to do because we're going to pray. Because this is a new area for a lot of us. There's a lot of education that needs to happen. And I'm not saying that we rush into anything. But I want you to pray about not just in your giving, but for us as a church as a, as a lifestyle, as a, as a core value of diversity, as our, as our ministry to an entire group of sheep that are missing from our congregations. My prayer, and I'm going to say this, and this is audacious, but if you know anything about me by now, I, I dream big. My dream is that Tri-Cities Church would have a world-class ministry to people with special needs and disabilities. And that other churches will come here to find out how are you doing and how are we going to reach our community help us to reach the missing sheep who are outside of our walls who won't come because we haven't supported them because we haven't asked them how we can do better my prayer is that not just this big give that we become a beacon of hope for other churches because we can't do it all by ourselves but I think that we are in a position to do something that's going to start a ripple effect across this country and churches will stop worrying about bodies, buildings, and budgets. And they'll start worrying about reaching the least of these. And, and reaching out to the people who nobody else is thinking about. That's what I want you to pray about. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for helping us to understand that there's a way to build it. And help us, God, in the places where... As, as the Western church where we may have built it wrong, help us, God, convict us and help us to change it so that we do the things that are necessary to reach those who no one else is thinking about. 
So, God, I pray right now that even as we are preparing to give and even as we prepare next week for the big give, that we don't make this just an offering, but we offer ourselves to this work so that we can reach those who are on the margins that churches have looked over, have left behind, and who have left out. God, we thank you for this moment, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.